looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. But before I uh, read that text, uh, let me uh, pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Pray with me. Lord, uh, as we've already sung today, we pray that uh, you would teach us what mercy is. Uh, we confess uh, to not really understanding it. Um, and yet, you are the God of all compassion and all mercy, and I pray that uh, um, as we contemplate this morning your mercy to us, you would transform us to look more and more like you, uh, the merciful God who uh, uh, just pours mercy down upon undeserving people like us uh, moment by moment. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 5, verse 7, text is uh, in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, so I've been reading this book this fall. It's a book that just came out uh, just actually within the last week or two by Ross Douthat. He's a columnist for the New York Times very serious uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic, um, and he wrote a book about his experience over the last uh, four or five years of what he would say is uh, a case of chronic uh, Lyme disease. Now, I realize that saying that, uh, that nobody believes that's real, well, not nobody, but a lot of doctors don't believe that's real. And a lot of doctors believe it is. And there's all, he talks about being out on the edge of medicine, which you got to be pretty sick to be living out on the edge of medicine. He's sick for a very long time. And I'm only halfway through it, so I haven't gotten to, you know, the re resolution of this. He's still alive, so obviously it didn't kill him. Part, part of his problem was, you know, he um, wanted, uh, he had this uh, desire, he and his wife, with their children, to have... Uh, a country home in Connecticut, in the country, near Lyme, Connecticut. And he mentions the first time that he goes to see this giant old house that he's going to buy, uh, all the deer that are around, uh, and how cool that is until he realizes that, you know, ticks from deer cause uh, Lyme disease. Don't know if he had Lyme disease or not. I don't, I don't really know. But a couple of his observations are applicable to what we're talking about today. Um, he's sick a long time, and he's really sick, and he's miserably sick. And, and I imagine if you were around him very much, you'd be miserable too. And he notices that over time, you know, because it was in, this happened in 2016, he was very busy with the election and being on all the, the news shows, that kind of stuff, going out doing lectures, all of that that he would see people at the beginning of his disease and he'd be like, I'm sweating, I'm sick, I, you know, I have all these pains, all this kind of stuff. And then four, five, six months later, he'd run into those same people again and they'd say, Ross, how you doing? He'd say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be worse. And people's response was, hmm, hmm, well, that's too bad. And so what he realizes about that is, is that people were very interested. And, and now, now people who had, who had had similar chronic conditions, a little more compassion, a little more towards him. 
But other folks were like, you know, okay, well, let's talk about something else because, uh, yeah, this, this gets a little old. One, one night he is particularly sick, and uh, he, he has these really crazy descriptions of what's going on in his body, and he strips his shirt off in frustration, and he sees these red marks all over his body, and he runs to his wife, and he wakes her up, and who she literally, you know, if Catholics are still making saints, they should make her one. Uh, he strips his shirt off and says, Abigail, look, do you see these red marks all over me? This disease is killing me. And she goes, are, are you sure that's not from you rubbing yourself so much? So it's, it's a great picture to us, right, of how sticky mercy is. I don't know if he was really sick or not. I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet. They're still married, so that's good. You know, that's, that, that's a positive thing. Um, but it is, a, it is a fascinating place for us to go, right? Because we, we believe that we have mercy. We believe that if we can f- just find the people who are deserving of our mercy, we'll be quick to give it. <laughs> And, and not only will we be quick to give it, but we'll keep on giving it. But we grow mercy fatigue, don't we? Um, and it's hard to know sometimes whether you're being merciful when you're being merciful. As we'll see in just a few minutes. Um, there's a, a, a short story that was written, actually not a short story, it was a, a column written by another columnist uh, called Our Friend about a, a, a guy who wrote for the newspaper in New Orleans who uh, was married and his, uh, had a couple of kids. His wife gets ovarian cancer. She's sick for about two years and she dies. And one of their friends that they'd known since college basically quits his job, quits his life, and moves in with them to care for them, care for their kids, while she dies. And the interesting thing about the story is, is that uh, when she first gets sick, there are a lot of friends. A lot. A lot, lot of girlfriends coming by, a lot of help. And as time goes on, uh, in fact, one day he... Uh, the man who's married to the woman who's dying, he uh, um, needs some help and he can't find any. And as he goes out to go to the store to do what he needs to do, the friends that he called, he sees them at the playground, sees them at the mall, sees them around, although they were not able to help him. And he realizes, he's not judging, he just realizes, you know, fallible, finite human beings we struggle with this. So it's an interesting thing for us to, to think about, right? And it's a, it's a when, out of all the things that Jesus could call out to bless, one of the things that is most profound that I think that he calls out to us is this issue of mercy. And so I want us to spend a little time this morning thinking a little bit about how we get mercy uh, how we show mercy and how this manifests itself uh, uh, in our uh, in our lives uh, today. As Kevin's already mentioned, it's uh, 
Reformation Sunday, so we got to have a Martin Luther quote, right? So uh, Luther writing about his own coming to grips with mercy, and I would submit to you that one of the great trumpet calls of the Protestant Reformation is the rediscovery of mercy, that is the favor and compassion of God upon those who have in no way, shape, or form deserved it. He says this when he came to grips with what God had really done for him in Jesus, and that is, then I grasp that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. So Luther would say that his discovery of the mercy of God demonstrated to him in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was like him being reborn. <clears throat> it's like him being changed forever as a result of that. So so mercy has that kind of powerful impact, doesn't it? it, it when we receive mercy, when it comes to us, uh, it is something that, is, uh, that you have an emotional response to, that you have a, a, a heartfelt response to. It's not just something that happens in your head. It's something that happens in your heart as well. And so that's, that's important for us to, uh, to come to grips with today. There was a period of time several years ago, and I don't know if this was because of the, the stage of life we were in or whatever, but I was getting a speeding ticket like every little bit. Yeah, I was. And you know, now maybe that's a bad thing to say. I don't know. I, I haven't gotten one in several years, but I was getting them with regularity. And I'm like, wait. I don't think of myself as a crazy person. I don't think of myself as, and everyone who knows me knows that I am notoriously early, so I'm never in a hurry. Why am I speeding? Because I'm not paying attention. That's why, because I was distracted. Twice, uh, once on a way to a funeral, uh, I was in actually a little town in North Carolina that's a notorious speed trap, and I, there I said it, and uh, I was going about 30 miles over the speed limit because the speed limit drops from 55 to 25 in about 10 feet. <laughs> and the guy pulls me over, my kids are in the van, you know, you gotta look out for speeders and minivans. And so he is, uh, he pulls me over, he comes out and he talks to me and he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to a funeral. And I, you know, he's like, how fast are you going? I'm like, I don't know how fast I was going. I'm sure I was flying. <laughs> and he says, okay, Mr. Shelby, give me your license and registration. He goes back to his car. And of course, you know, I'm thinking, is this a teachable moment for our children? <laughs> you know, Steve, maybe it's a teachable moment for you, but no, <laughs> let's, let's see if I can turn this into a moment for the kids. He comes back and he says, Mr. Shelby, here's a warning. Drive more safely. And then not too many weeks after that, I was on Route 6 going to, to a, a, a track meet in Goochland and again, flying, not paying attention, and a Goochland County Sheriff's car passed me and, and before she could turn around and come get me, I'd already pulled over the, on the side of the road because, <laughs> and she came to the door and she said, where are you going in such a hurry? And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to get to my son's track meet. How fast were you going? I don't know, but I know I was flying. Okay, slow down, because I want you to get to that track meet. You know, I, 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 if I could have, I would have gone to those officer supervisors and told them what wonderful officers they were. 
I was warned by another police officer never to do that. Because <laughs> they'd get fired. Isn't that funny? Mercy, man. It, it's a mess, isn't it? Just a mess. So why is Jesus commending it to us? Right? And why does he say to us that it is such a a key thing for us. Well, let's, let's dig into that, right? So where do you get it? Well, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think we're born uh, naturally merciful. Uh, and, if, and if you don't uh, believe that, just go stand out here and look into the nursery and watch what happens when you take a toy from a two-year-old that he doesn't want you to have. So mercy does not come to us naturally or normally. It is something that, that we can only get from being shown mercy in the first place, right? And so what we, what we have here is, is that our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. Um, and so I think that's the place that we have to begin. And so you, if, you, if you set about, if you walk out of here today and with the determination to be more merciful, that's fine. You will fail at that. I think the place for us to begin today is to think this way. God, help me to see your mercy to me. God, help me to understand who I am. Help me to understand your love, your grace, your mercy to me. And let me soak that in. And as you are moved by being receiving the mercy of God to you, his favor, his grace, his compassion, his love, his bent towards you, then that begins to reorient us, right? Because the fact is, <clears throat> unlike the people I told you about at the beginning of this sermon who grow tired of mercy, God never does. Never. Never. And if you believe that God grows tired in his mercy to you, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. God's bent towards us is mercy. He blesses, he gives. Now, that doesn't mean he, there's no justice in God or anything like that, but God is out of balance, frankly, in the sense that he is bent more towards us in mercy. And so, as we think about that and as we begin to, 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 to address that, you have to understand that the very fact that you're breathing, the very fact that you're alive, the very fact that you're here this morning is an evidence of God's mercy to you, that that. He was bent towards you. He had compassion upon you. His heart was moved towards you and is moved towards you and continues to be moved towards you. So, so really what we need to get at is less about how to practice mercy, although that's important, but more about and, and, and what exactly, how, how, how does mercy work, but asking the question, what kind of people are we? You know, what kind of person am I? Is my inclination first and foremost to mercy? Because what the, go the gospel logic is, is as you experience greater and greater depths of the mercy of God, it moves you, it changes you. You begin to look more and more like this God of mercy. And what Jesus has done here in the Beatitudes is that's what he's setting up for us. He's helping us come to grips with what kind of people are my people? Well, they're the spiritually poor and those who are broken over their sin. <coughs> Uh, they recognize their own neediness. They are people who do not strike out 
at others when they are accused or when uh, hard things come their way. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to see things made right. But isn't it interesting, right? As soon as Jesus says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you'll be filled, he goes on to say, blessed are the merciful because we could take our hunger and thirst for righteousness and turn it into vengeance, couldn't we? We could take a hunger and thirst for righteousness and make it something other than that, that it's the establishment of what we believe to be just and what we believe to be righteous without coming to grips with the overall character of God, which is tempered. Everything about him is tempered and shaped and directed by mercy, right? So what we have to see about this is, is that mercy is a big deal. It's what God desires. Now, we probably didn't wake up this morning with the thought that, you know, that, that mercy is the kind of the driving force of the universe or that mercy is what's holding body and soul together this morning. But that's exactly how Jesus sees it because he talks about mercy a lot. Next slide. Uh, we read in Matthew 9, 10 through 13, this, this uh, great story. Jesus is sitting at a table in a house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me just say something here. You know, this is a, this is a hard passage for us because if you've been around the gospel very long at all, you know that Jesus is inclined towards tax collectors and sinners. And so you think they're the good people. I'm them. I'm not the Pharisee or the teacher of the law. And, until... You look around you and you think, I wonder why Jesus blesses that person. Right? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those, and this is another great thing about Jesus. You know, Jesus is over, he, he is eavesdropping. <laughs> He needs to eavesdrop on my conversations a lot more, right? So when he hears it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, it's time to sit up. It's like when, when uh, Emily says, boys and girls, it is time to pay attention, right? And so go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this, when Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, he's quoting his father from, from Hosea, the prophet Hosea. So it's not like, you know, God was all about justice in the Old Testament, and now he's all about mercy in the New Testament. He's always been bent towards mercy. He's always been bent towards people, loving, drawing, uh, being gracious to, blessing the undeserving, Right? And so we get this right, right off the bat that what the, the heart of God is to desire mercy and not sacrifice. That doesn't mean that God doesn't appreciate sacrifice. But in the scheme and the scope of life as we live and work and do, do what we do in this broken world, God's heart wants to be manifest in his people by showing mercy first and foremost. Secondly, mercy is weighty. It's important. It matters. Now, you probably have thought about a lot of things today, and you probably thought about a lot of things in the last week, but I wonder how much time and energy we put towards mercy and the way in which we think about our lives. Next slide. 
Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's not that tithing is bad or wrong, but we spend our time and energy on that because I can write a check or I can give my, my cumin or my dill or my mint, uh, but mercy, faithfulness, justice puts me in the mix of things with other sinners, doesn't it, right? And so what Jesus wants us to spend our time on is the weightier matter of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guys straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. So one of the things that this challenges me about is if Jesus says mercy and justice and faithfulness are the weightier matters of the law, I spend a lot of my time on trivial things. You could, you could call my life trivial pursuit. Right? I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about money. I spend a lot of time thinking about my house. I spend a lot of time thinking about my next vacation. I spend a lot of time thinking about, yeah. So obviously this is something that Jesus puts a premium on. So, but how do we even know what mercy is? How do we even, how, how, how do we know what it is? Next slide. So um, Jesus uh, doesn't define mercy in the way in which we tend to think about defining mercy, right? You, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's grace or favor to the undeserving, right? I mean, that's, that's you know, doesn't that, doesn't that make your heart beat a little quicker? So what he does is when, when he comes to de defining this, he tells a parable. Maybe, maybe the, the, one of the most famous stories ever told. And how ironic when it comes up to this question of mercy that it comes as someone asking the question, seeking to justify themselves, seeking to show that, you know, here I am, I got it together, right? And so we, this very famous passage, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered right. Do this and you will live. Now, Jesus knows that he's not doing that and that he's not going to do that, that none of us are, are able to do that, right? That's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole point of his life and his death for us, right? So Jesus replied, if you want to know who your neighbor is, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? So he's probably a Jew, and as we'll see, as we know, that Jews were hated by Samaritans, right? And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest who was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. We know that they're keeping themselves ritually clean by not touching somebody, not touching blood, not touching somebody who's... Uh, there on the side of the road, right? But a Samaritan, someone, you know, not who would be an enemy racially, politically, uh, religiously with the, the Jew there. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of the three do you think proved the neighbor to the man who fell among the, ro the, the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So if you want to know what mercy is, let's unpack it a little bit. Jesus is defining it for us here in this parable. First of all, mercy sees distress. Now, for many of us, uh, what, what you have to understand about that is it's not just that we see it, you know, it's that we see it with real eyes, that here's something, someone who's broken and in need right? It's, it's, it's the, the fact that we are not, you know, usually I am so busy and so concerned with my own agenda that anybody in distress is an interruption. Anybody in distress might keep me from getting my to-do list done today. People in distress are just not very convenient, <laughs> Right? Secondly, after they see the distress, mercy flows from an internal feeling of compassion. You'll see this all over the Gospels, is that Jesus sees blind people, sick people, dead people, suffering people, struggling people. And what does he do? The Scriptures tell us that he sees them, and then he has a feeling. He has compassion. He is moved. He understands what it's like to be sick. He understands what it's like to, to feel the brokenness of, of human life. And he's moved in compassion. He, his heart beats. It's not just a rational thing that's happening here. Something emotionally happens in Jesus. Something emotionally happens in us. We see the person who is struggling. We see the person who is suffering. And, and we are moved towards them in love and care. Even pity, right? We, you know, pity has... Has, a, uh, has such a negative connotation. You know what? It's not a bad thing. I'll take Jesus' pity. Right? But not only does it have an emotional, not only does it see, not only does it feel compassion, but it acts in a practical way. Right? So what does the, the guy do? He, he picks the, the, the guy up. He pours wine and oil on his wounds. He binds him up. He takes him to the inn. He pays money for him. And he says, when I come back on my business trip, I'll... Uh, I'll give you more if you, if, you, if you need it. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, you know what? All this stuff begins to sound a little progressive to me. Sounds a little progressive. All this talk about mercy. I don't like that. I thought we were conservatives over here. Well, you know, Jesus doesn't categorize mercy and justice as progressive or non-progressive ideas. He just says mercy is, and he goes about demonstrating that to us, right? Now, you may be saying, well, you know, churches get in trouble all the time when all they do is feed the, the, the uh, hungry, care for the sick, provide for the poor. That is true. If you don't do that from a, the standpoint of understanding, first and foremost, the great mercy displayed to us in Jesus Christ, yeah, we could get in trouble for that. You could, you could fall off. You, could, you, you, might, you might mess up with that. But you see, what, what Jesus has done here in, in Luke chapter 10, if we had time to go through it, the first 24 verses are about the preaching mission of the 70 who go out and preach the gospel. 
when we bind up the sick and we pour oil and wine on their wounds, when we pay their bill at the hotel, we do it in his name because Jesus has bound up our wounds. Right? So, so what, what's happening here is, is that in our mission and our understanding of this, that because we have been recipients of mercy, we proclaim mercy and we act on mercy to those who are around us. And it even acts towards enemies. And this is where it gets hard. It gets real hard. This, this is the thing that uh, becomes so challenging about it is because in our interactions and in our, our, our dealing with one another, and, and by the way, you know, mercy is not a political thing as much as we w- might tend to think about that. What Jesus is dealing with here is what you do on your day-to-day lives, what you do as you interact with people, what you do in, in, in your relationships, right? And, and the thing about it is, the, the truth is that whenever we think about mercy, whenever we come at this, it, it becomes a very messy thing. Because let's extend the, this is dangerous, I know, but let's extend the, the parable a little bit. The man comes back from his, his business trip and he stops at the inn where he left, uh, the Samaritan comes back and he, where he left the guy. The guy's laying in the bed. He's got a tray on his bed. He's raided the minibar and he's ordering room service, you know. Who knew you could have a $9 glass of orange juice, right? I mean, he is, he's soaking it up. And you look at him, you're like, are you well or are you sick? Oh, I'm sick. I can't get out of this bed. I, I need to be here at least another month. I can't tell you what to do about that. Now, I know a lot of you know what, exactly what you would do at that point. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what to do. It's complicated, isn't it? When is mercy no longer merciful? Because you see, that's the thing. If, if, we, if we live our lives by the law, things are clear. It's black and white. If we live our lives by mercy, we're going to find ourselves in situations like this where it's like, I don't know. This, this is so hard. And if we can content ourselves with the fact that, you know what, I'm a merciful person. I am always on the search for someone who deserves mercy. And when I find the person that deserves mercy, I'm going to give it to them. Well, good luck, said John Calvin. Good luck with that because the, the fact of the matter is there is no one who deserves mercy by definition. They, someone who is in need of mercy, is, if, if, we, if, we, if we go about looking for the deserving uh, of, for mercy, we're never going to find them. Uh, some of you in here have received mercy from the church. You're, we've paid your bills, and you've helped pay other people's bills. And if, if we wanted to, we could look at your paperwork and they said, you know what, you shouldn't have spent money on that. And so that disqualifies you from mercy. On the other hand, when are we being merciful in a way that is no longer mercy to the person we love? It's a mess, right? I just want to challenge you this, this morning with this thought, right? 
If your approach to mercy is first and foremost, I know Jesus says to do this, but I need to find a way to be as tight with mercy as I possibly can be and still get his mercy. Because you see, Jesus is the good Samaritan who comes to his enemies, who sees them in distress, who is moved with compassion and spends to protect, to heal, to save, to restore, to renew. What happened to that guy laying in the ditch? You ever wonder that? Praise God. Jesus' mercy to us is always new and fresh. Pray with me. Lord, uh, thanks today. We uh, confess to our own um, misunderstandings and our own limitations on mercy. And Lord, I confess that I find this uh, so moving and so distressing and so confusing. And yet you stride right into that uh, and are quick uh, to show mercy, quick to have compassion. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be known as a people uh, that are quick to show compassion, quick to show mercy. Lord, and I pray too, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in that. But I pray that you would also make us um, profligate in our, in our mercy. Uh, Lord, would it, would it be that we are uh, too merciful? Would you uh, move us more and more in that direction? And Lord, I pray today for uh, those of us who are afraid of mercy, who are afraid that we'll be taken advantage of, who are afraid that mercy might come back to bite us. I pray that you would protect us, and that you would care for us, uh, that you would help us, and Lord, that you would, uh, that you would be rich in mercy to us, that you would be rich in compassion to the distressed. Would you do that? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's uh, confess our sins by using this confession from the Book of Common Prayer. Would you pray with me? Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there's no health in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent, according to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your name. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Please stand with us as we continue to worship.